0: Do you remember the name Ivan Boski? I'm just curious, anyone, raise your hand. Do you remember that name? Well, I'm surprised. Ivan Boski, he was a Wall Street insider, a trader and arbiter who coveted, obviously, a great deal of wealth, And he committed fraud back in the 80s. And he was prosecuted, I believe, under the Reagan administration in the last couple of years, and was sent to prison. He only served two years, but he swindled people out of about $200 million. And uh, he is a piker if you will, compared to Bernie Madoff who uh, swindled people out of billions. But of course, you know, the price of everything goes up. Today I'm preaching on greed, one of the so-called seven deadly sins. The Bible uses the word greed, but it also, of course, uses the word covetousness. And to get a a panoramic view, if you will, of the Scripture's teaching on the subject of greed, you have to also include those commands concerning covetousness. They mean roughly the same thing. The word greed, for instance, is an old word. It's a word that goes back to uh, the beginnings of English. It's found in Beowulf, and uh, it means to hunger. It means to hunger. For our sakes, we will call greed and covetousness a kind of longing, a longing, an excessive and and, uh, longing, if you will, and a misdirected longing. In this sermon, I want you to see that greed as greed invites not only God's judgment because it is, in fact, idolatry. It does have a remedy, and its remedy is in the keeping of the two great commandments of God. The text is 1 Kings 21, 1 through 16. I spoke on this not long ago in the Sunday evening service, but I could think of no better passage to talk about greed than this passage that we have in 1 Kings and uh, this has to do with King Ahab, a king of Israel, and uh, a lowly man, a man of, of uh, little means, but a man, obviously, from the entire text, loved God, and had his priorities right. His name was Naboth. Now, if you look at First Kings chapter 21, you will see that the entire chapter has to do with this story. The story, though, rightly can be divided into two parts. The first part is the story proper, which goes from verses 1 through 16. And then the second part has to do with God's response and attitude toward greed and what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel accomplished, or what they thought they accomplished. So let me just simply talk about what this story is about. It's a very simple story. It, it uh, is not complicated. You don't have to know all of the background of everything to get the gist of the story. You don't have to be able to read Hebrew. It, it comes across just as well in English, and it's easily understood. It is a story about greed. But as you can see through the story, much more than that, it finally ends up in the murder of a man. In fact, we are told in 2 Kings, his entire family is murdered. So even though the story in 1 Kings 21 does not mention his family, just Naboth, but his entire family was wiped out, otherwise the plot of land would not have gone to the king. Now, what was this? A humble Israelite had a vineyard. A vineyard in Israel was a sign of God's blessing over and over again. And this is highly symbolic all the way throughout. The vineyard is important as opposed to a vegetable garden. It's not a simple thing. But this man has a vineyard. Now, it happens to be in the shadow of the summer palace of King Ahab. It was at a lower elevation and obviously a very sunny spot that also got rain. It was ideal. He could see it. And uh, he wanted that. And so he began to stew. Now, Ahab was a man who knew something of the laws of Israel. And there are lots of laws here that he knew that he couldn't just go take it. He was not above the law. No king of Israel was. But he married a Phoenician wife, Jezebel. She had no scruples. She did not honor the God of Israel. In fact, it is through her imported into Israel many of the Phoenician gods... And Ahab himself became an idolater as well as also he claimed from time to time in bouts of true religion to be a worshiper of Yahweh. But of course, you can't worship God and worship idols. Now that is the setup of the story. So he's sulking in his summer palace and his wife notices that he's sulking. And she says, who are you, the king of Israel? Now, she's used to being in a place or having an understanding where where the king, Rex, is Lex. That is, the king is the law. And she says, why don't you just do this? She says, I'll do it for you. And she immediately usurps authority of the king and takes a series of actions in his name Maybe unbeknownst to him. But anyway, the bottom line is she sets up this little vineyard keeper. And he's called to a banquet. By the way, that's also important. You don't call banquets and holy days for these kinds of things. Another usurpation of power. And in his hometown, he thinks he's going to be feted. Recognized, maybe. But she has already written a letter to have this banquet, this feast day, and also to set up two witnesses that will lie against him. And they accuse him of two sins, blasphemy, and of being a traitor. So he's a blasphemer and he's a traitor. He is taken out and stoned, and as we know from Second Kings again, so is his family. Maybe later they were murdered. But on that day, he was stoned. It's an action that reminds you what takes place today in the Middle East, doesn't it? In certain countries and places. Summary judgment. Trumped up charges against blasphemy. That's why I mentioned the little girl in, in Afghanistan, Pakistan. The little girl that was said to have burned pages of the Quran. She had not. Mentally compromised, I think 12 years of age. Praise be to God, the fraud was discovered. In this case, it was not. Or if it was, everyone was afraid to speak. But the bottom line is Naboth gets the vineyard. He turns it into a vegetable garden. I'm sure just like King David, he salves his conscience, forgets about it. But in the latter half of the book, the prophet comes. And while it doesn't say that he shakes a finger in front of him, he calls down judgment upon him. Naboth is the kind of man that has enough religion to get scared. Not to come to salvation, but to get scared. You know, a lot of people have enough religion to get scared, but not to come to the Lord. The famous thanatologist with the last name Kubler-Ross, the Swiss thanatologist wrote a book Death and Dying and she says there are two kinds of people that die in peace those who are convinced there is no God and no judgment and those who are convinced that there is and they are right with God and ready to meet their maker but there is a kind that faces judgment in fear and trembling they believe in judgment somewhat. They believe in God in somewhat. And they're unsettled. And their dying is difficult. Maybe that's true. I do know this, that Ahab was the kind of man that just had a, enough religion to make him miserable. Scared. And the prophet did call him to repentance and he repented somewhat and for that somewhat repentance. He has granted mercy and his judgment does not fall on him until the very end and on his family after he's dead. But judgment does come, of course, to the queen. And you know about that. Well, what are we to make of all this? That's the story. It's a sad story. It's, it's a story that speaks of, of nothing but entirely... Of uh, an unjust situation of the abuse of power but it is rooted deeply in this longing that we've talked about longing now it's interesting about greed we must not confuse greed with self-interest Uh, I I see that all the time. There is a confusion in some people's mind between greed and self-interest. Now, you have to have some self-interest, enough interest in yourself and your family to take care of them. You have to have enough self-interest to go to work and make a living. You have to have some self-interest in life. When Jesus talks about love, he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is a certain sense of self and a certain sense of esteem and a certain sense of self-interest which is holy and healthy and good and makes life livable and enjoyable. It makes people get up in the morning and go to work. It makes people bend on their knees and thank God for his blessing. And let me add something else here while I'm at it. The capitalistic system itself is not necessarily a greedy system. When Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, he was not writing about greed. He was writing about self-interest. So we must not confuse or buy into the contemporary critique of um, free enterprise. Now, it might be critiqued in a different way. That's not my point. The point is that um, you must not confuse greed and self-interest. We need that in order to be able to be motivated to move and to do things. Now, while we distinguish that, let's also understand that greed is a kind of longing and it can be, number one, excessive. If you have a longing that is excessive and not in proportion, uh, that can get the best of you. When we talk about habits, habits of the mind, which can lead, if you will, to uh, finally in the end to compulsions, that means that a desire or an interest has gotten control of you. So remember that when we talk about even a longing, which sometimes can be wholesome and good, we must remember, though, that it must be in perspective to the whole. And we'll get to that in a moment. But also a longing can be entirely misdirected. And this is where the real problem is. King Ahab had no business longing for this man's property. None whatsoever. He couldn't have it by the laws of Israel. This was this man's inheritance. This is the way Israel was to maintain itself and to maintain its ancestral homeland. This was a law in Israel, not to sell your birthright in this case. And so he was to maintain it. Not only as it a sign of blessing of God, but that God owned all the land in one sense. And Ahab's longing is misdirected. It's directed at something that he is not supposed to have and should not have. Now, when you think of greed, this is getting to heart of what greed really is. It's not just simply an excessive longing. It's also a misdirected longing. Notice the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment, what? Don't covet your neighbor's what? Wife or husband their donkey, their goods, whatever, belongs to them. Recognizing here the institution of marriage, for instance, also recognizing personal property. Rather, we ought to rejoice in the blessings of others. Greed never rejoices. Never rejoices. Uh, it finally makes people and leads to, to anger. conflict in this case it led to murder let me also go one step further it invites the judgment of God greed invites the judgment of God now why does it invite the judgment of God well not only is it condemned in the scripture but it is idolatry idolatry two places in Paul's writings in the New Testament in his letters he calls greed idolatry Why is it idolatry? Because you make that which is temporal, that which is passing away, you put an eternal value on it, and it becomes your focus. And what does it do? It takes your mind off the true and the living God, who is of eternal and infinite value, and it places your interest upon material things which are passing away. It subverts your whole way of life. It turns your vision from God and from life inwardly to yourself and to what you can possess. And that is the very definition of idolatry. Idolatry. Well, it invites God's judgment, doesn't it? Let me just read, for instance, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, about one of Paul's statements concerning greed. But he says, "...among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking." which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure, no greeting person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So now there you understand God's disposition, if you will, toward greed, and why it is forbidden. It is a sin that Dante understood in the Inferno, in the seventh canto, in the fourth circle of hell. The greedy are pictured as pushing their goods around or whatever they're pushing with their chests, looking downward, bumping into each other, and then in the very next canto or the next circle of hell is anger, which it's leading to. Greed. It's a much more serious sin than most people realize. Ivan Boski, he thought it was a good thing. When he testified at the university, not testified, but when he gave a lecture at the University of California, and I suppose after he had served his uh, prison time, he commended greed. He said, uh, it's a good thing. And of course, by saying that it is a good thing, it seems to me that it's a reflection of no repentance. Do you take greed seriously? Well, you should. And there's only really one antidote to greed, and that is love. Now, every time a minister or a religious figure mentions the word love, some people just check out automatically. I don't blame you. There's so much sentimentality concerning love that you're not to be blamed. But let me say that love in the Bible is much more robust, much more, if you will, uh, much more hearty than most people realize. And as I said at the wedding, love is not simply not simply rooted in the emotions, but it is rooted in the reason and the will. It is deeply rooted in the total person. And the Scripture says that God has poured out His Spirit upon our hearts, and in so doing, He has poured out upon our hearts the gift of love. What are the two great commandments? Well, they come up in the context of the rich young ruler. What a sad story, isn't it? Every time I read it, there's something disturbing about it. It does disturb me to read it. Even as a kid, when I would hear it, it bothered me that this man went away sad. He couldn't follow Jesus. Why couldn't he follow Jesus? Because of the two great commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he couldn't part with that which is temporal And if he does not depart from it in this life, everything that you have can take wings and fly from you. You just can't hold on to that which is perishing. All of life is transient. There's only one eternal. And greed reverses that order. Reverses those values. And that is why it is so destructive. Love, what does it do? It frees us to serve God and to serve our neighbor and to get our priorities right. Naboth, notice, and this is the close. Lost his vineyard, but gained a heavenly home. Ahab and Jezebel gained a vineyard and lost their heavenly home. That's what greed leads to. And there's only one anecdote. The greatest of all of God's gifts, the gift of love. Praise be to God. Amen.